the, the priest, uh, and you don't see all this in John. You have to read Matthew and Mark, especially in Luke, to get the whole story. You know, this is one part of the story, so things are left out. John doesn't tell us about the beatings that Jesus received at the hands of the scribes and Pharisees, how they asked him directly, are you the Son of God? And in Matthew and Mark, he says, I am, or you say rightly that I am in Mark, and I am in, uh, in, in Matthew, and they tear their clothes and then have him beat up more, and then they're going to send him on to Pilate. Peter has already denied Jesus as the cop crew, and Jesus looks across the courtyard from where he is to see inside the building out to Peter, and Peter begins to go out and weep bitter tears. And as uh, my brother Bill, who was standing up here with me, uh, said last week, he says, you know, in Mark it says that Jesus said, um, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. And Peter may have really recalled those words and thought, I'm doomed, it's over. But this, you know, making, uh, sinning and erring and denying the Lord on, a, on an individual basis, though it's bad, it doesn't mean you're lost. And, of course, this is before Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave, so there's a whole other layer of that. But the point is, is that Peter feels that way, like a lot of people do sometimes. And yet, God would redeem him. And that same man who, who would curse with cursing, deny that he even knew Jesus, 50 days later, I may have accidentally said 40 days last week, but it's 50 days later, Pentecost, 50. On the day of Pentecost, Peter rises up, and that same mouth that's been redeemed is now the first mouth to speak out the gospel of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ to a world that will be listening. And so, what a glorious redemption for Peter. We're in the middle of now Jesus going before Pilate, and in verse 28, then they led Jesus to Caiaphas, from Caiaphas, who was the high priest, to the praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Whoa. Religious hypocrisy could never reach a higher crescendo, perhaps, than right here, right here. First of all, the praetorium is the Roman government offices, if you will. It's the place where Pilate also lives and house. It's beyond that one area that you see in the movies of where, they, um, where his court is, where they meet with people, and then behind that and adjacent to that, it's the soldiers and all the other things that are up there. And it's very near to the temple, actually, because it's on the north side, and anyway, all that logistics doesn't really matter. What really matters is it's a place where the Gentile Roman government is ruling, and these guys won't go in there so they won't be defiled while they're on their way to kill the Son of God. So uh, this is really kind of blows us away and is amazing to us. Uh, but uh, Jesus called this all the way through his ministry. This isn't new information, really. It's just in your face. You see, in Matthew chapter 23, for one place, Jesus goes through and begins to say, well, the religious leaders sit in Moses' seat. They sit in this place of authority. And when they tell you things from Moses, do what they tell you. But don't do after their works. Don't be like them. Because they're whited walls. They're hypocrites. They're like a sepulcher, white and clean on the outside, full of dead men's bones. They tie heavy burdens on people's backs. They lay heavy religious 
cultural burdens on people, but they won't use one finger, they won't lift one finger to help ease that burden. They, they, for, they go to widows' houses, meaning they go to widows' houses and devour them. They're not gingerbread houses. They go into their homes of a widow and they express that they have such honor for the woman's husband and they represent the synagogue or the temple and, and they eat up her food and they take her possessions. Well, your husband would want you to offer to us, you know. Remember that movie with Ryan and Tatum O'Neill where he takes Bibles and finds the newspaper where somebody died and he imprints in a Bible. He uses Bibles. I don't remember the whole movie. I just remember this. So something about Moon in the, in the title, Paper Moon. And, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if it was a good movie. I just remember this part, <laughs> you know, or clean or anything. Pretty clean, I'm sure. I would never have watched it. So, uh, and it was years ago. But uh, it, he'd inscribe, he'd have inscribed the guy's, the wife's name or some family member uh, from the person and go to their house a few days after they died and say, oh, is he here? Well, no, he died just last week. Oh, well, he bought this Bible. It was to be paid on delivery. It's, you know, $100 for you. <gasps> He wanted a Bible for me, you know, and well, they'd scam these widows and, and eat up their food. He goes, and for a pretense, make long prayer. So they'd probably stand there for 45 minutes praying before or after or as they're taking her stuff and going through her cupboards and, I mean, having her feed them and all this. And, and folks, does God know people's motives? Jesus looked at these guys, and he saw exactly what they were doing and knew exactly what... I mean, I wouldn't know if somebody's praying that they're sincere. You know, it's important for us to stay away from making judgments on things that we don't know, that aren't real clear in Scripture, or to assume somebody's attitude about something by a look on their face, or, you know, they say all this body language stuff, but sometimes I fold my arms because I have shoulder problems and they hurt, it's, it's more comfortable for me to do this. So if I'm talking to somebody and I fold my arms, it doesn't mean now Rick's closed and not really listening to you. That can happen, but it's not automatic. Here's the across-the-board body language story for every human. Give me a break. We're not, we're not looking to each other to judge each other for every little detail. But God knows, and sometimes he'll let you know things that you don't know. So, and really, t- should really warn a person like me. For pretense, they make long prayers. You know, he said, he said they go, they, they, they shut up heaven to people because of their ways. They're being exclusive. And, and they keep, they don't go in and they keep others out. He goes, they cross land and sea. They go across the ocean. And they fi- to find a, a, a convert, a proselyte. And when they get done with the person, they make him, Jesus said, twice the child of hell that they themselves are. Doesn't sound like he's applauding their evangelistic outreaches. And and woe to you, blind guides. And then he tells the parable in Matthew, in another place in Matthew, I'm pretty sure it's 25, but don't hold me to that. And it may be earlier, too where he tells the parable of the vineyard. And he says there's a man who owned a vineyard, and he lent it out to these guys. And when he sent his servants to collect his portion from what he let them use, they started beating them and chasing them out, wouldn't give them anything. And they even killed one, but he still sent his son. 
And when they see the sun coming, they say to each other, hey, it's the error. We kill him, the property's ours. And they kill the son and take the property, at least temporarily. Okay, any questions? That's kind of what Jesus said, like, do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> you, religiously. So what you see that is, uh, is scandalizing you right now, is overwhelming you right now to go, they won't, they're going to kill Jesus and they're going to get Pilate to kill him, but they won't defile themselves by going in. This was just par for the course of their behavior, which is scary. This doesn't make me feel arrogant and self-righteous. This kind of puts a fear of God in me about the temptation to become religious but not spiritual. The temptation to become self-righteous but not honor God and love people. So, their perverted interpretation of God's law is that they be defiled by touching a Gentile or going into their domain. The law never said that. It said if you something is unclean and you touch it, you need to go through a cleansing process and you can't celebrate the Passover on that day. You have to wait. But that was like a dead animal and a list of things that it doesn't list touching or seeing or being near a Gentile. But they interpret it. Now they built a case that a Gentile is among the unclean things that would defile you. So Jesus willingly allows them to bind him and take him, beaten already, into the court of the Gentile. <laughs> Not the temple court, but the court of law and the authority of Pilate. He goes in because his goal is not to have a false spirituality, but to save even people like the guys who are trying to kill him. Do remember that when Jesus did hang on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So uh, the, the world has seen enough bigotry in the church through history, enough self-righteousness in the church through history. I'm not, I'm not railing on the church, but an honest assessment is that you, we can't defend church history because it's filled with evil. Because man is filled with evil, and man uses religion or faith or things to do things that are self-serving. It's happened from the day one. It'll happen throughout until Jesus comes. You're never going to find the pure, perfect place. Because there's just no such thing, because there's no such people but Jesus. Uh, We can do better. There's no room for bigotry and self-righteousness. You know, and it's not in the Word of God. And it's not in Jesus. You know, you go to the source. You don't go to church history and what the church has interpreted, having slaves because of the, that time and, and, and force, all the things that we've seen. We don't say, well, yeah, it was good and that was great. And it was Christians that were at the forefront who actually believed the Bible and the release that God was bringing through the gospel that sought to bring release to people and their burdens that were placed by men. Now, not everything people want to be released from is a burden. You know, there's, there are things that God intends for man to behave in, to be the best that he can be, and to be healthy spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. But nonetheless, man has, you know, impurity is not, has no place in the gospel or our lives, of course. Do you know that one of Cortez's men who went down into Mexico and the Central America region and took over, Cortez, remember hearing about him? Um, 
you'd have to be older because I've been seeing interviews where they ask people when Columbus got here, and they, some of them say, like, was it about 1840 or something? So I don't know if younger people have any history taught to them anymore. But be that as it may, it's not, that's off the track. But uh, Cortez went down into the, the Mexico area, and, uh, and, you know, he killed people to take control and get their gold. But you know what? Many more, multiplied thousands, died from one of his soldiers and the disease that he brought and the malady he brought from another place to them. And, and from other soldiers, etc., they say, the historians say that over two million people died from disease that they did not have until Cortez got there. So, you know, it's just a picture of what impurity uh, can do. Uh, but the danger for us is religiosity. Uh, you know, defining ourselves by the things we don't do instead of what we have been called to do and to be. I mean, yes, there's things we don't do, but it's not that whole, I don't smoke and drink and curse and chew, and I don't go out with girls who do, and that's my Christianity, <laughs> you know. You know my, my Christianity is who Jesus is to me who Jesus is to you, who Jesus is to every single person out there who ever will hear from him. And and faith is no excuse for hatred, but motivation for love. It's a difficult time we live in. It's not the first. It won't be the last. Unless the Lord, maybe it will be the last. (laughs) But, But we live in a difficult time, but there's no excuse for hatred in a Christian or denouncing entire groups of people and stuff. Yes, there's right and wrong. There's absolute truth, and we believe it. But that doesn't give us room for hatred and bitterness, but motivation for love. And, you know, you, that's your filter. You, I have a filter because as I take things in, I still may have strong views about right and wrong, but they're also guided by a sense of God's love and mercy, one that I desperately need personally. All right, so um, 29 through 32, there's some very interesting things here. In 29, it says, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Well, then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he would die uh, meaning he would die on the cross, which was Roman execution. Jewish execution was stoning, but the Jews could not stone people. Now, first, before we get there, it's an important thing we're going to cover, is when you read Matthew and Mark and Luke, and particularly Matthew, you, you will see a more a conversation, and you, you, and you will also see that it says that Jesus didn't open his mouth. He went as a lamb to the slaughter, quoting Isaiah. You go, well, it seems to me that he's talking here. And in a couple other places he talks. He does. When they ask him directly, are you the son of God? I am. Uh, when Pilate's going to ask him some questions, he's going to answer those questions with some more questions. <laughs> but in none of it is he defending himself. He did not open his mouth in defending himself. And you will see that his opening, when he did open his mouth, it was that others might see the truth, not for his own benefit. So, when it, so both things are true. He didn't open his mouth. He went as a lamb to the slaughter. Because what you'll read in Matthew and Mark is they bring all these accusations against him. He did this, he did this, he did that, destroy the temple, blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't respond to any of that. 
He only responds in a desire to let the person who's talking to him see what they're doing, that they might be delivered from their sin, that we might see the truth, who would read this later on. So, um, they said, we have a law. He says, well, take him and you judge him, because they had the right to do certain judgments in their culture. But you see, what the historians tell us is that somewhere earlier or up to 40 years before the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., 40 years earlier would be 30 A.D. We're going to be rough with our estimates here a little bit. And that would be uh, uh, 30 A.D. is basically as Jesus is getting baptized by John in a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, while that's going on, or earlier, the Romans who had been ruling Israel for a long time were like sick of the way they were doing things in their rebellion. And so they pulled from them the right to stone people to do capital punishment. Now you say, okay, so, well, that allowed Jesus to go to the cross. Yeah, there's more to it, though. You see, when that happened, what historians also tell us is that rabbis went around tearing their clothes up and weeping and saying, God has forsaken us, his promise has left us, he's not going to keep his promise to us. What promise might that be? Genesis 49.10. You don't need to turn there. You can take a note if you want. Or turn, but it's uh, it, when Jacob is prophesying of his son's future, the 12 sons of Jacob, he speaks of Judah. Judah is a lion's whelp. He says in verse 9, and then, and as a lion who shall rouse him. So he's the lion of the tribe of Judah is Jesus, right? He's from Judah. Everybody know that? Now you do. Okay, in verse 10, the scepter, the scepter means like the ruler's scepter, shall not staff, but it's a, you know, special one, shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Shiloh's a name for Messiah, really. The Savior will come. Judah will have control and be the lawgiver. And it will have that, that control until the Messiah comes. So whenever that was that Romans said, no more, no more control, they thought, but we don't have a Messiah. And now we don't because we can't perform capital punishment. The law rule has been taken from the tribe of Judah. Judah would be the ruling group in the, in the general history of Israel. And they went around weeping. But, you know, if it was 40 years, Jesus was at the waters of baptism. If it was earlier, you know, we all remember that there was a Passover when a young Jewish boy at 12 years old was left behind in Jerusalem when his family went back to Nazareth. And he was found later sitting in the temple courts speaking to the leaders, the religious leaders, uh, questioning them with questions they couldn't answer, speaking to them of things they didn't understand that he was making clear. You know, God kept his promise even though people who were well-studied in Scripture didn't see or understand. God keeps his promises. This is not a declaration to um, cause pain for those who haven't seen it come to pass. But it is a, 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 an opportunity to encourage that maybe if you can't see it, it's because your eyes aren't open or their time hasn't come and, and patience is the key for the day and trust is. Uh, those are things, patience and faith, 
you're not going to really escape those in your walk with God. You won't say, well, you know, I had to exercise faith and patience for the first five years of my walk. Then I got it all together. Now I don't have to do that. (laughs) That doesn't happen. It's not wrong that God makes you trust him for what you can't see. If he showed you everything, you'd just explode and you'd be a puddle on the ground. You know, you think you can handle a lot more than you can. I do, too. We think, we, if I just show me one more thing, this thing, then I'd understand. But it, we're further from God. A 40-year-old man who's got a Ph.D., his gap between his understanding and capacity to the eternal God is much, much like eternally larger, immeasurable, to a 40-year-old man with a Ph.D. in science and a 4-year-old kid. That gap is much closer Between me and a four-year-old, I'm not a 40-year-old, and I don't have a Ph.D. in anything. But um, (laughs) all these jokes come into my mind that would mean nothing to you. But do you mind if I chuckle for just a minute because they're really funny and you'll have to ask me later uh, for money. No, I'm kidding. So anyway, uh, this 40-year-old, this 4-year-old, the gap is so huge. Well, no, it's not that huge. And the four-year-old says, why is, there, why is there a socket on the wall? Well, it's for electricity. Well, what is electricity? Oh, it's this. Well, how does it work? Well, this. But the house, why, you never answer enough of their questions. It's great. They're learning. They're growing. You think, well, don't offend me. I am not a four-year-old kid. I have a, I have a smart brain, and I'm an intelligent person, and I can understand things quite well. Thank you, you bogus pastor up there, you know, babbling out all these things. Well, wait a minute. Are you saying that you're closer in your knowledge and understanding to the eternal God who created the universe? They still can't figure out how, the, how it started. The greatest minds in the, universe, in the world working day and night cannot figure out where, how, nothing, how something came out of nothing. They can't figure that out. And you're saying that you're close. If God just answered one more question for you, everything would be okay with you? You're deceived. You think that would answer all your questions, but you're really like a four-year-old, and I am too. It's like there's always another question. The peace that surpasses understanding is what God wants to give you, as well as give you understanding. So, Jesus uh, didn't come to destroy the law, he said, but to fulfill it, not one jot or tittle of the law, one little marking would be uh, would go away until he fulfilled all, and he did, and he would, and that's why the scripture is being fulfilled. Thirty three through thirty eight, we're going to finish on Pilate, thirty seven, excuse me, because that goes into the next section. So then Pilate entered the Praetorium again. Now he's heard all this stuff about Jesus, and he calls Jesus and said to him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" And Jesus answered him, "Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did you tell? Did others tell you this concerning me? Why are you asking me if I'm the King of the Jews? Why would that? How would that happen in your mind that you would be standing here with me right now?" Pilate answered, "Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done?" Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. And the rightly is added. So you say, but other places it's true, I'm a king. 
For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, oh, these amazing words, what is truth? And he didn't even live in the 60s in Haight-Ashbury. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. No fault at all. Interesting. So Pilate and Jesus, we need to cover a few things about this. Pilate and Jesus, one has power and one is impotent. One is going up, one is going down. One is in control and the other one is manipulated and being controlled by others. One speaks with authority and the other one speaks out of desperation and confusion. You see, you would think the person in charge would be the person in charge. You would, you would think the person that had control, you'd think the person that has power, has potency, who's going up, would be Pilate. But not so, is it? No, no, it's not Pilate. Pilate. Jesus would say in another gospel, you would have, don't you, he says, don't you know that I have the power to release you or the power to crucify you? And what did Jesus said? You would have no power at all except it came to you from above. So Pilate doesn't have power. He's being manipulated and controlled and confused. Jesus seemingly is saying when he says, why do you ask if I'm a king? Pilate, don't you see why I'm standing in front of you? Pilate, this, if I may, I don't want to express too much like I have it down, but the way I can understand this is, Pilate, this is your moment for truth. This is your moment. You are standing in front of the truth right now. Jesus, who knew Pilate's history, we're going to get into a little bit of that, the way his mind is working, is confronting him, not seeking to avoid anything, but rather engage Pilate for the sake of not only Pilate's journey, giving every man a chance, but for all of our journeys. Because guess what? Everybody gets a moment or more to encounter the truth. So the big picture, of course, this is God's plan. God's going to have Jesus die on the cross. Pilate is a pawn in the situation in one sense, but so was Pharaoh and so are others, and yet there was choices given to people. God, knowing their choices, could accomplish his will. God can do two things at once that you can't figure out. I don't think those contradict at all, that, that God gives man choice and that God has power and sovereignty over all. It's just bigger than my brain. So I don't try to figure it out from a complete theological viewpoint that men come with because they're both incomplete. Um, man can't quite comprehend this. I sure can't. But the relevant issue for Pilate right now, in one sense, is his inability to control his inability to lead, it's because he's being manipulated. Jesus says, if I was protecting the temporal, the temporary, this world, my place here, my servants would fight. If my goal was to protect myself, I've got that covered. But that's not my goal. 
I'm not fighting for power or land grab or who's, who gets to be in charge here. I came to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate says, classic, what is truth? You know, the, the, the classic answer that we would give to people who would say, there's no absolutes is, are you absolutely sure? Because it just doesn't work. Yet, it is very much bought into in our culture. And just because one thing is true or untrue doesn't make everything else true or untrue. You know, if this man who um, horribly went in another shooting spree did it in the name of God, you know, killing people because of the abortion clinic, it doesn't mean that, uh, and that would be horrible and totally wrong, it doesn't mean that to believe that abortion is also evil is, is, those, is still true. Abortion can be evil doesn't mean that we go shooting people. Rejecting Christ is evil doesn't mean that we go smack people for rejecting Christ. There are truths that stand no matter what people do with them. And, of course, here's the deal. Pilate might be helpful to us. Pilate may have said earlier in his life when Jesus says, I came to bear witness to the truth. Earlier in his life, he might have said, I'll tell you what truth is. Truth is Rome. The iron fist of Rome, which I represent. He kind of said it with, don't you know I have the power? But, but the, the, the truth of Rome, the power of Rome, the glory of Rome. But Pilate, and we know this from history, has a bitter taste in his mouth. He came to Judea, and first of all, it's a place that he and any one other guy in his position, it's like the last place you wanted to be. You know, he said, give us the, your number one place to go be. And, you know, you put on the top Hawaii, and on the bottom you put Judea. Okay, they didn't say Hawaii, Mediterranean on the other side, you know, Cyprus or something. You know, they didn't put Judea. It was a bitter, hard place to be. The Jews always fought against the rule of other nations. Their faith and their zeal for God was unmatched. And, um, and it wasn't the prettiest place anymore. It had gone through so much, it's already having a lot of difficulty. It wasn't a great place to go. It's where they send you when they want to discipline you and get you out of their hair. And so he's already has some trouble. It's a, and he came in very hard on the Jews. He doesn't like, doesn't want to know about their religion, doesn't want to understand them and work with them. He just wants them to do what he says. Do you remember, Jesus said, do you remember the ones who Pilate mingled their blood with the sacrifices? When Pilate came out against the Jews in a rebellion, he crushed it really hard. Anything that happened, he went into the temple, he brought in... Um, the markers with the Roman Caesar on it, which they worship Caesar as God, and the other guys before him, graciously, if you will, to not cause trouble, took those things off, and then it tried to get right in the Jews' face, and Pilate said, oh no, we're going to get right in your face. And, um, and he did all these things to build up animosity, and um, when some Jews got to go, and they got to travel, some Jews leaders, without him, I'm sure, knowing, we're going to go complain in Rome. He wouldn't let them go. But they went to Rome, and they complained to Caesar. And edicts had come down. Hey, Pilate, you need to chill. You need to control this with diplomacy. You need to be, yes, when you have to put the hammer down, put the hammer down. But when you don't, you need to be able to control this place in a proper way and let these people do their religion. And we don't want any, I'm paraphrasing a whole lot of history that you can research and, 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 you know, we don't know for sure, but this is the best understanding I have. And, and 
you know, when they have their Passover and stuff, this heightened time of their intense uh, national pride, you need to really chill and keep peace in the city. So he's under pressure from Rome. He's been put in a place he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be with these people. This is like everything he doesn't want. And, 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 you know, the message to Caesar, no more trouble. He's not thinking the glory of Rome. I'm a Roman procurator or whatever how you say it. I'm, a, I'm the guy here, man. I'm top dog. He's like, oy vey. <laughs> he did learn that word. I hate this here. And yet God has him in a place where he could be delivered personally. But how would Jesus get crucified? That isn't the issue. The issue is Pilate as a man is in this moment. And, but here's what Pilate does. He's, more, he's not concerned with the glory of Rome. He is cynical and he's in self-preservation mode. And you know, our culture, to bring in a thought on the truth and is all truth relative, our culture uses that. It's become the, the norm to desperately try to promote mutual respect. But if everything is relative, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, you are going to say, as long as you live peacefully and don't hurt anybody, is really, I understand it, but it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. Oh, it happens here and there. But it doesn't happen as a whole because people's truths collide. You know, in football they have a saying, Everybody, every team, you know, or, or even with boxing, everybody comes in with a plan. Everybody has a plan until they get smashed in the face, smashed in the mouth. So you know, like the football team comes in like, well, we're elite and skilled, and we have this game plan that will really work against these guys. But the guys that you're playing against are really strong, and they play ruthlessly hard, and they immediately bash you and knock you to the ground on your rear end, and, and all of a sudden, this whole game plan thing goes, I just, how do I stay alive? Play this game. How do I keep from getting hit? And I don't mean to be crude on that. That's not crude. It's just you smashed in the mouth. See, what happens is truth smashes people in the face. And all of a sudden, the relativism goes away. When you get smashed in the face with reality, you have to deal with the reality that you got smashed with. I don't say that arrogantly or angrily at people. I, I would want to live at peace with everybody, and I choose the best I can, and that's what the Bible tells me to do. Uh, I would want to give room for everybody to be who they are. I don't want to control people. But I also know that truth is not relative. There's, there's no such thing as that. And not in, in, not in when I'm, we're talking about absolute truth. You know, what tastes good to you doesn't taste good to me is fine. <laughs> By the way, when somebody says, no, I don't like it, don't say, try another bite. If they don't like it, they just don't like it. You can let people be relative there. <laughs> they don't have to have your taste buds. But when it comes to absolute truth, uh, there's a difference. So our culture desperately tries to find this to be true, desperately tries to make it work, and it's not working. It is not working. Now, you could go through. You could go watch uh, The Truth Project with Del Tackett. Um, you can uh, read things said by atheists that so blatantly say we can't receive Christ. Even if he came and showed up here, we'd find a reason not to believe him, even if science did prove it. You know, there's all of that. And you can talk about truth and absolute truth. And we could do a lot of apologetics. And there's a good place for that. But let me tell you a quick story, because I think this is the application that I come with today. You see, 
for many who say there's no such thing as absolute truth, especially as they've lived a little life, not young people necessarily, but people who've lived a little life, and even young people, it's an escape from facing certain things. It's a great way to not be accountable. But it doesn't just mean people do whatever they want. Sometimes people are hurt and are in pain. And people deal with their pain in many different ways. I worked at the Target store after we first moved here, and I was working at the early morning shift, stocking shelves, 4 a.m. to 12. Great group of people there, over there in Wilton. And, um, and I just I had a great time there and um, got to share the Lord all the time. And there was this lady there working, and I, I liked her. She's a nice lady. She, I, whatever age I was, 16 years ago, and she was probably about 40s. Mid, and I knew she had two sons, was divorced, and I knew that she had, I knew, I could tell that she had pain in her life. And, um, but I was asking her, and I said, well, you know, she goes, well, it's all relative. It's all, you know, your truth, my truth, and all that. I said, really? And I said, so you have two sons. Yes. God forbid, I don't want to put thoughts in your mind, but God forbid a maniac evil person comes and abuses your two sons and then murders them. You don't call that absolute evil? Is that not evil? And she said, well, for me it would be evil, but I don't know for him he may... <laughs> and I went through it like three times asking her make, you're, and, and trying to get her to you will not call a man who murders your children uh, violates them sexually murders them you won't call that evil she, just, she goes only for me not necessarily for him there's no such I said now I could have gone down this road with her um, of cornering her pinning her against the wall you know this is and what I felt like the, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, this woman has great pain. I knew that she'd been raised in the church. She didn't tell me which one or anything. She says, I, went, I was in church all the time when I was a kid. Something happened in her life, and she got hurt. She got wounded deeply. She has scars. She has open wounds. And she is resisting because she is trapped in this. Do I want to see her come out of it? Obviously. Is the way to get her out of it to load my, my apologetic bullets? <laughs> I can prove to you that that doesn't work and that you're wrong. There could be a time to do that. This wasn't the time. I could see that there was nothing I was going to say that was going to open her up and help her make a transition or cross that bridge. She wasn't ready to cross any bridge. And I could see that she, and I, and I felt more than what I could already see. I felt like the Lord said, this woman has pain. And the only way she knows to deal with this pain is shut off. She can't deal with absolute truth because she has to absolutely face some things that don't make sense to her. And I, I just said, whatever her name is, instead of belaboring it, I said, such and such, um, I can tell that you've had a lot of pain in your life. You've been hurt. I can still feel that moment. And I, I got choked up, actually. Like, hey, I'm now. I just, it's like it came back to me. Is, is I said, and I am really sorry that you've had such a hard, hard time and so many hard things have happened to you. But I can honestly tell you that it's not because God doesn't love you. 
And I won't push this any further right now, but I just, I'll, I just want you to know that I believe that God wants to free you from that pain. And he wants you to know that he loves you. And I left her alone. I would have loved to have led her to Jesus. I would have loved to explain to her how her thinking was all wrong. Do you know what I mean? It would make me feel good, like win the argument. She didn't need to be argued with. Now, do I pray that somebody, because I never got to get to her again to really talk to her. She didn't come and open. It would be a great story. I could make it up so it sounds, you know. But I trust that God would send her the next person that would be able to get the next step with her. And my friends, I'm saying that things like, um, you know, Ray Comfort does um, the, um, this, this how to preach the gospel and share the gospel. What's it called? The master, way of the master. It's great. It's great. I do think it's great, and I learn from it. I learn from everything I can. But none of these programs and planned ways to talk to people, please, None of them are the, this will work 80% of the time. Well, it will work for you 80% of the time. It might not work 80% of the time. And I might be so stuck going, this is the way to talk to people, that I can't hear the Holy Spirit give me the wisdom of the moment to share what was needed. You know, what's your faith all about? I came to bear witness to the truth. (laughs) Jesus could say that right then, and it was perfect. I can't say that right now. You know, I can say it now. I did come here today to bear witness to the truth. But but you get what I'm saying is that you have to be led by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus spoke about truth all the time. God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The spirit of truth that the world can't receive is going to come, and when the 